This week on Physio Foundations, I'm talking to a colleague and a very good friend of mine, sports physiotherapist, physio educator, and pelvic health researcher, Jody Daykick. So I'm going to ask Jody how you get to work in elite sport and what it's like. I'm going to ask her all about her journey so far in physio education and research. Welcome back to the Physio Foundations podcast, where we talk about the knowledge and skills that provide the foundation of expert clinical practice. So this week, I'm talking to a good friend and colleague of mine from Monash Uni Physiotherapy, Jody Dakic. So Jody's a highly experienced physio educator with many years experience working in elite sport. And this includes, she'll correct me if I'm wrong, 11 or 12 years on the World Tennis Association tour, traveling the world and uh, working as a physio with uh, professional tennis players. Um, Jody's completing a series of groundbreaking studies as part of her PhD. She won't refer to them as groundbreaking in this interview, but I will because they are very groundbreaking. And she's looking at the impact of pelvic health on women's physical activity. And she's also a leading physio educator in our department. And this is what we're going to spend most of our time talking about today. Um, so Jody's the busy person. There's a saying, if you want something done, ask the busy person. So that's what I did. Jody Daykick. Welcome to Physio Foundations. Thanks, Luke. How was the intro? Yeah, it was a lot. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I feel so, like I'm going to have to say something important. <laughs> oh, it'll, it'll come out. I, I did the same. I did a, a long intro like that for Pat Valance a few episodes ago, and he said, oh, I'm, ex I'm exhausted hearing <laughs> you read all that stuff out. Yeah, it does make me feel tired. <laughs> There's a bit of that in there, isn't it? When you, so we're at the end of the year now. By the time this will go to air, will be in January. So this will be a bit of an evergreen episode anyway. So we'll say Happy New Year to everyone and well done on 2022 and good luck for the year ahead. So what did I miss in my intro? Um, so so did I get the WTA correct? That's the World Ten. Yeah. Yep. So yes, I Excellent. did. I, I can't think if it was 11 or 12 years exactly or how many years, but it was certainly a good proportion of my sports physio career. And so if, if you've watched any tennis on the TV, you've probably seen Jodie running out onto centre court and doing her thing. And there's probably a lot of unromantic hard work in the trenches behind the scenes with that job as well that we can get into. But I thought we'd go back to your foundations first being the name of the podcast. So it's sort of a, sure. a double meaning, the foundations, origin stories of people and how they got to where they are when we get, bring an expert like you on, um, and also the foundational knowledge and skills that you think are most important, which is where we'll end the conversation with. So tell us about your background. So where you did your undergrad training and postgrad training you've done and what have you done so far? Sure. So I did my undergrad at University of Melbourne many, many years ago, I'm not saying how many, uh, and um, whilst I was at uni, I actually initially wanted to be a neurophysio, believe it or not. I think Prue Morgan's probably just fallen over, but um, that was my that was my plan when I was, uh, you know, at high school and thinking what I wanted to do with my life. Um, but I had also been um, playing sport myself and had had been working closely with sports physios and had sports physios travel with us. And I also thought that was pretty inspiring. So whilst I was um, doing my undergrad, I also did some sports trainer work and, you know, some work with the local footy team, some work with local netball and, and towards those sort of final years, um, was lucky enough to do some 
tennis, working in tennis. So I did some of the junior national events and um, helped out an, an amazing physio called Jo Ma, who was also a good, very good tennis player herself. So working alongside her and I learned a lot as a student. And um, by the time I had actually finished my undergrad degree, decided that actually sports physio was was where I wanted to head. Um, and so once I graduated, went into uh, private practice, worked in a few private practices for uh, a number of years. And alongside that, trying to get sports experience. So continuing that work with tennis, but instead of being a true sports trainer, working as a physio, doing some of the, the junior national hardcore championships and junior national titles, uh, and then working several junior Australian Opens, which was just amazing, an amazing experience. Uh, very, very busy, very hard work, but, um, you know, working in a in a tent at uh, down at um, Notting Hill out the back of a tennis court in 35 degree weather. Um, but actually, I just, I really loved it. And so I guess that started a, a, an interest and a passion in sports physio that I then continued for a number of years. Nobody knocked on the door when you graduated and said, hey, come and do this. There was a lot of work there. So there's lots of opportunities. So, so some unpaid work as well, some paid work, and just almost a staircase of working your way up through. You, you didn't mention though, or, or did you, that you're also an elite athlete yourself? Well, depends on how loosely you lose, use the term elite. <laughs> I'd probably say more semi-elite. <laughs> Competitive, high-level um, com competition, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I did, I played softball for many years from when I was young, eight or nine, and um, I think I stopped playing uh, around about, I think I was about 21, 22, the juggle, balancing mm. physio and um, and trying to play a sport that didn't have any funding um, or very limited funding, I should say, Um became really, really challenging. But mm. um Has that yeah, I played at all? softball for Victoria for many, many years. Uh, yeah. made lifelong friends, learned a lot. And as I said, had that exposure to some really fantastic physios um and got to see what the what the, the life of a sports physio looks like, uh, which was, you know, really inspiring. And it was um yeah, it was. It, it, I think it has that that period as I'm going to say semi elite. <laughs> um, as a semi elite athlete, um, I think has been really really important to um, my work as a as a physio. I think it gives you really good insight to be a patient, to be injured, to to see the, the flip side of it and to understand um, the drive that athletes have because whilst I consider myself semi-elite, I certainly played with some extremely elite athletes, um, you know, and so I think that was really has been really, really good insight. Not that you can't be a good sports physio if you haven't done that, but for me I found that really beneficial to try and yeah. think about how I would have felt. Mm. So you love working as a sports physio what do you love about it oh, it's hard to actually think about what I don't love about it I, I really mm. enjoy it I, I've always loved sport I loved being involved in sports so in some ways it's a way to continue that involvement but I think I really enjoy the um you know I, I enjoy the event like I really enjoy the 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 I guess there's two things I enjoy about it. One is the atmosphere of being part of something. I think particularly travelling 
um, with a team or with a, you know, tennis is not necessarily a team sport, but there's a there's a, a community feel about it. Um, being part of a big event is is really exciting. I actually really enjoy the pressure and the adrenaline and um and I think I also really, I think something that appeals to me about sport is just the the uh, the structure and the work ethic and the dedication that, you know, that pushing yourself to a limit. And I enjoy working with athletes to help them, you know, really maximise their performance because, you know, the things that are achieved in those sort of environments are, are huge. And, um, yeah, I, just, I, I like to be a part of that. I like to help people achieve their potential and mm. uh, you know, that those one percenters in sport can make a huge difference. Those little things that you can do to help someone can be a big difference in sport. It's about them, your health professional, and you're yeah. there to help them in the same way that you're there to help students as an educator. It's a giving role, isn't it? The Absolutely. Same as parenting. It's, a, it's, it's not really less of a two-way thing. I mean, you've, we're talking about your perspectives, but you're there really for the, for the people. Absolutely. And I think that's a, that's a really nice thing when you, when you're talking about professional athletes, they have a lot of demands placed on them um, and a lot of pressure. And I think the nice thing about being a physio in that role is that, as you said, you're there for them. You're you're not asking anything of them. You're there to help them. And I think um, that's a nice, that's a nice role to have. You don't have to ask for anything. You can offer things. And I, I, I enjoy that. And it gives you the opportunity to feel like you've contributed to something that's Mm. important to a lot of people. I mean, you know, sport gives a lot of people a lot of joy, mm. not just the athletes competing, but those that, that are they're watching, um, the, the fans, the, you know, the young kid who's looking up to those athletes. So there's a lot of, um, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of joy in sport and uh, it's nice to be a part of it, I think. So it, it's not all about you. It's definitely not all about you when you're working in, in lead sport in particular or any level of sport. And you said you enjoy the pressure don't hear that too often. We hear, we almost, we, we, we talk a lot about stress, especially these days as being um, this problem that um, you're put upon by stress and you might've signed up to something that, that is known to be very demanding, like a physiotherapy course, for example, it's associated with a really high level of work and, and stress and then to elite sport, for example, and then you, to, in order to succeed in that, you have to enjoy to, to a certain extent, the pressure and then thriving and achieving things despite the pressure. Is that a fair summary? It's not yeah. It's not for everybody then? No. No, it's, look, I think, um, and, you know, again, not calling myself an elite athlete by any means, but when you have had that level of competition and you've pushed yourself hard, it actually, you know, a lot of athletes talk about this um, when that stops, when you don't compete anymore, that, that can be... Um, that can be a challenge to then find something that really kind of pushes you and, and inspires you and that you feel mm. passionate about again. Um, yeah, right. And I think that's where Sports Physio stepped in for me. I didn't feel that gap because um, I could push myself in other ways and, um, you know, with study and then with being in that environment, um, you know, it's challenge. It's a challenging environment. You're mm. always um you're always trying to learn new things. You always want to make sure that you're providing the best advice to athletes. You're always trying to stay um, really high level performance with really high um, evidence-based practice. You need to be on top of things. Um, so I enjoyed that. And then obviously when you're working in professional sport, there's um, there's a, there's a um, I want to say like a, a, a high level of visibility 
Mm. Um, you want to make sure that you are um, at your best and you want to make sure that you're offering the best to the athletes. And that's something that I that I really enjoyed. I enjoyed that. I also, you know, it's it, sports physio um, is such a privilege um, because you're seeing people at their best and at their worst and you get the opportunity to be there for them in those situations. But you also get to see the world. You meet amazing people. You see amazing things. You work with the best physios all around the world. So you just learn an immense amount. And um, in a in the environment that I was working with with the tennis, a lot of what we did was an open environment. So you're seeing what other people are doing. You're learning a lot from them. They're learning from you. Um you're having you working with some of those best sports doctors in the world, the best you know sports dietitians, nutritionists, psychologists, um, massage therapists, myotherapists. So you know it's just such a privilege the people that mm. you meet and the amount that you can learn um, in in such a you know it's a, it's a very um, pressure cooker environment. So you're really you're really immersed in it because you're not at home, you're not having to run off and do school pickup. You are you're there for hours and hours and hours. So you learn a lot. Mm. Do you miss it? Yeah. Yeah, I, I miss it. Um, it doesn't, it, it, it wouldn't, travelling full-time wouldn't work for me at the moment. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, yeah, I definitely miss, I, I miss that environment. Um, I really loved it. I really, really loved it. That's not to say that it wasn't hard work. Mm. <laughs> I mean, I don't think, um, I don't think you want to go into a sports physio career if you um, aren't prepared to put in the hours. It's, you know, long hours. And Susanna's talked about not just the hours and the work and the invisible work and the things behind the scenes, but the the things that you didn't necessarily expect were were a part of the role, like in her case, um, carrying lots of bags and skis for the um, (laughs) Paralympic ski team, which makes perfect sense because you get anyone, these people about to compete, no, don't carry your bag 300 metres up some stairs and no, rest. And, And all the, that's one example, or she was doing filming on the slopes. And um, her hand was freezing on the camera. Well, didn't expect to be doing that role. Um, and you would have done a lot of time in the trenches, researching as well behind the scenes. And mm, it's not all romantic work, is it? No, I mean, um, it's, it, I, I can tell I me mean, when you said that, I was just immediately having this flashback to my, um, to my first trip out of Heathrow Airport. Um, when, when I first started working on the tour, we used to carry all our own medical supplies. Eventually, we we started shipping a lot more. But I used to have six huge bags, huge sports bags full of equipment, medical equipment, physio equipment, sports, you know, all sorts of. And I remember getting, as an, as an Australian and my first time at Heathrow because I was, had just moved to London and I rocked up with my six bags and the taxi driver, I didn't know Heathrow at that time. <laughs> had dropped me they were doing some works at Heathrow and he's dropped me I reckon it was a kilometer from the entrance that's what it felt like with my six bags I had no idea I couldn't fit them all on one trolley no idea how I was supposed to actually get into the airport and check in had to had to take two trolleys back and forth we'll nearly half an hour just to get to the entrance with all my bags reminds me of when you see an ant trying to pull a big insect or a leaf or something down into their yeah Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so yeah, look, there's there was some, you know, you asked me what I liked about sports physio. I think there's the sports physio side of it, but there's the um the personal development that you have when you are faced with challenges ongoing. So mm. traveling internationally on your own 
um, because with the tennis, um, you're not traveling with a team, you're traveling to events uh, and you're, so you're traveling solo a lot, um, you know, and the other, so there's, there's all sorts of challenges with that. I had, you know, lost bags that never turned up. I had, you know. And they've still never turned up. Unfamiliar countries, you yeah. can't speak the language, you, <laughs> you know, there's all, there was, there's all sorts of challenges, but then, um, when you work on the tour, the actual on the tennis tour, the actual role is a primary healthcare provider, um, and so there's the physio work, and then there's a sort of I guess I would call it almost like a sports trainer, or perhaps a triaging kind of role as well, where mm. often you're in a country where um, you might be the only um, health professional um, that the players are familiar with, and you're liaising with a with a doctor in that area. Mm. Um, who's working at that tournament and sometimes there were language barriers, sometimes there was um, situations that, you know, where a player wakes up in the middle of the night acutely unwell and, and um, ends up at banging on your hotel room at 3 o'clock in the morning and you're, you're trying to find a hospital in a country that you don't know. And so there were, um, there were you know, personal challenges along the way that really help you to grow and help you to learn problem-solving strategies and mm you know, push you well out of your comfort zone and, and force you to learn a lot about um, about yourself and how you face challenges and how you deal with hard times. And so, yeah, look, I, I, I enjoyed all of that. I think it was really important for, for um, shaping who you are and being able to be resilient, build yeah. resilience. Yeah, because as you said, there's long hours. Um, you know, you're, you're, you're at a breakfast handover meeting at 7am and you're still waiting for the last match to finish at 2am. It's, um, it's you know, there's, there's long hours. So not for the faint-hearted, but also, um, I don't know, I'm a, I've been raised um, to believe that that most of the good things in life involve a fair amount of hard work to get there. So, mm. Yeah, you've got your upbringing and then you've got your training as well and then your personal and life experience. And then all those communication interprofessional skills and problem solving skills and um, and everything that you're developing across your life um, become really useful when it's just you. I think that I found that interesting because you were talking about solo travel to an mm -hmm. event and then working with a lot of different people. Whereas Susanna in her episodes, she's talked about traveling with a team. Yeah. Uh, and Matt Pryor has as well. He's talked about being with the, as a sports physio with a team and very different, isn't it? Some specific yeah. challenges that um, you can't necessarily ever get training for in in a university degree. It's going to be a culmination of all the different life experience and your upbringing and, and your work experience, everything coming together and pressure gets put on you. The pressure is a bit of a theme of what you've been saying as well. And then how you respond to that pressure. Yeah. It is a different environment um, working with, I guess, essentially tennis is an individual sport, but there are teams within that sport. So obviously there are times when the players play for their country as a team. They play in doubles um, and mixed doubles tournaments as a team, but then they also play as individuals. And there's very much, um, there's a sense of team and community both within tennis and also within the sports medicine team. So you very much felt like you were part of a team at the event um, and there was a lot of support, but um, you're often also on your own because you are you were going on a diff completely different schedule to someone else. You might be in 
Paris and the next week one of you is going off to Istanbul and someone else is going to a tournament in London or something like that. So um, there was a there was a mixture of that sort of um, individual um, um, travel and challenges that are associated with that, and then um, being a part of a team, which I really enjoyed. So yeah, it was it was. Um, so really, it's a really unique environment, actually, and I, I I learned a lot, as I said, because being part of that larger team and not always having the same people within the sports medicine team at each um, event meant that there were just so many opportunities to um, work with just some absolutely outstanding people, um, mm-hmm. and also in each um, in a lot of the tournaments, particularly those Grand Slams, when you get there, there's also a team of physios from that country and and doctors and um, myotherapists and massage therapists that are that are working there as well. So you were just meeting some absolutely fabulous people, which is just you know a real privilege for your learning, particularly um, in those early years when you've um, you know you've done your undergrad degree, you've done some years of clinical practice to get the job, but then you want to take that knowledge to the next level. And for me, I, I learned so much. I was um, I had um, the role of um, director of athlete care for a number of years, which meant I got, got to work with um, also a group of consultants that are real experts um, from, you know, from Mayo Clinic and Stanford Uni and places like that that were um, advisors to the tennis tour, and I learned so much. Yeah, they, they're really fabulous people and, and you know, just a, an absolute wealth of knowledge. Mm. Not everyone will have the opportunity to specifically do that. In that no. role, there's obviously very few people get to do that specific role, but there's lots of parallels here with the teamwork and the high pressure environment of lots of different forms of healthcare that some of our student listeners or our new grad listeners will be really familiar with on their clinical placements or, or their first jobs Absolutely. they're taking, or um, the more experienced listeners will be really familiar with the pressure that can come with a health professional degree and, and uh, career, I mean. And there, so the, so you're really focusing there, although this is a solo um, sport with you as an individual practitioner traveling solo to events and everything, but then being immersed as a part of this team and having to really work with lots of people. Yeah. Let's, um, let's talk about your PhD as a, as a hard transition. There's no segue in that, but the, but the segue would be, I've already sort of touched on what your topic is of your PhD. And you're interested in um, female pelvic um, health and the impact of that on um, physical uh, activity and sports participation. How did you get from pure sports physio with that sports physio interest to that topic? Yeah, I know it feels like a um, it feels like those two worlds shouldn't meet, <laughs> but they should though, um, as we're should. about to find out. Yeah, correct. Um, so, you know, obviously I worked in elite sport and it was female sport that I was working with. So I worked with the women's tennis tour and working with female athletes um, at their best. And um, I think um, in sport, we're making huge, huge progress in understanding that female athletes are not just male athletes that are maybe a little um slower or weaker, um, which is often the way female athletes had been viewed in the past. Um, We're starting to really understand that female athletes um, have some unique um, health and performance considerations that we need to take into account and and provide better support for our female athletes. So um, 
I was working on the tennis tour and then I decided to start a family. Uh, so moved moved home to Australia and um, was lucky enough to uh, meet two absolutely fabulous mentors um, that are still mentors today um, at Monash University and that was um, Jill Cook and Helena Frawley and in sort of some discussions that I'd had with Jill and um, from having the experience of having a family and um, talking to women around me and um, other people that were mothers and um, I'd started to sort of understand that some of the challenges that women face when they um, experience pelvic floor symptoms, how that really challenges them in their then return to exercise or their, their wish to continue exercising. Uh, and so um, I was very fortunate that um, Helena and, and Jill were also interested in this topic and so we proposed a, a topic and we um, they sort of they, they came to me actually and said this is something we'd like to investigate and I said fantastic I'm, I'm absolutely really interested we'd had some prior discussions and um, so that's how my PhD started and I it started with a, and it still is my main passion in this area is to ensure that women have the opportunity to participate in sport the way they would like to, the way they would prefer to across their lifespan, and that we are doing research, we're offering management um, strategies that allow that to occur and that mean that we address some of the, the, the female health concerns that are stopping women from participating the way they'd like to in sport. And so that's where my research is. And um, I went and did a postgrad cert. So I had the clinical um, postgrad training um, to be able to practice. So I now practice as both a musculoskeletal and pelvic floor physio. Um, and that's where my research lies. So it's sort of been a, I guess, a, a marrying of two areas of, of of interest that that I feel really strongly about and it's great to be able to bring the knowledge um together and, mm. and bring those two worlds together and when you explain it of course those two worlds need to be coming together and yeah. you said under recognized it's under under researched as well and you're, you're playing a really important role in researching this important area and it's it's interesting though because you a big theme here is experience and you're from your perspective, you're bringing to, you know, in your experience as a mom, as a practitioner, as an educator, as an athlete, as a sports physio and bringing it into this topic. Yeah. Um, some people do their PhD pretty close after a, an honors, for example, they might be in their early twenties and they're doing a PhD. How would that be different? How, how would their experience be different? Cause they still have lots to offer and a, a PhD, no matter how experienced you are is simply your apprenticeship in research where you learn research skills and then you can go off and become an independent researcher. Right. So mm -hmm. what, um, how would it be different? And you're, you're going to be supervising PhD students soon when you finish yours. And how do you think it's different when you're uh, less experienced, but still very capable? Um, I think in terms of the experience, um, what I think the experience is, one of the main things I think the experience has helped me with is just that um, I'm researching in an area that I feel really, really passionately about. And I'll be 100% honest, if I wasn't researching in an area I felt really passionate about, I'm not sure that I'd still be finishing my PhD after 
after homeschooling three kids during COVID lockdowns and and trying to do a PhD that's running alongside that with full-time work. Yeah, no one would blame I, I know you. that I would yeah. have kept on going. But for me, the one thing that always keeps me coming back to the research is that I feel really, really, really passionate about the topic and I mm. really, really, really believe in what I'm doing and I really want to know the answers. Mm. And I, um, I really love this topic and this research. So for me, that's been a real driving force. And someone said to me when I started my PhD that a PhD is not so much about being the smartest person or having the most research training or the greatest knowledge on a topic. Um, a big part of completing a PhD is the is the the grit and the determination and the resilience to mm. see it through. And for me, um, the driving force always has been that I that I really enjoy the topic. I'm really interested in the answers, and I feel really, really passionate that women need to have the opportunity to be physically active. That that women don't play as much organised sport as men. They tend to drop out of team sports. They um, they don't um, participate for as long throughout their lifespan. Often, and I and and we now know from the research that I've done, and one of the key reasons for that is that they experience pelvic floor symptoms and 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 um, stop participating. And so for me, um, I think that that's been really important for my PhD. I think that. Um, there are some absolutely amazing PhD students out there that may not have done 20 years of clinical pro clinical practice. I don't think you need to. Uh, I, I think in some ways that helps me in terms of being able to communicate my findings to clinicians or um, bring my findings to the sports medicine world. Um, but um, I, I don't think that it's necessary to do a really, really great job at research. But I do think that um, having a topic that you care about, for me personally, has been really helpful at the stage of life that I'm in. And you research in teams anyway. And so when the time's right for you, that's yeah. the time to do it. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Come in there and, um, and like you've built up a team that's very complementary. People from very from statistic, statistics, um, sports medicine, pelvic health, and then you're developing your area where you can really help people. It was interesting, your driving force, there's the topic, which really is the same as saying that you want to help people or help women with pelvic floor problems mm -hmm. to participate in sport. It's the same with your driving force for being a sports physio, it's the athlete and the people. So yeah, sometimes we can get caught up in all the work and the stress and the busyness of life and almost um, be caught up in your own head with your own, with all the pressure and everything going on. What you're saying here is that to be really successful in these different areas and to bring it together into career really required you to look externally for motivation, looking at the athletes or the, mm. you know, the, the people you're trying to help with your research. And in the next episode, here, I've got a segue. In the next episode, we'll talk about your motivations for helping students in education. So looking outwardly, that's something, I mean, you're one of my mentors, my career mentors. I've got yourself, Susanna, we've got others in the department who will come onto the podcast and chat to them as well. And as a, a career mentor, that's what you do. You're, you're very selfless with your, your help for other people in the department, myself as well. And you don't go in there and you know, brain dump all of your problems on, on me. You'll say you, you're always, always there to help and, I can see how that if I was an athlete working with you, it would be similar as well. 
Um, final tips for any anyone listening to this who's sort of motivated, they've listened to Jody. Yes, I could do it too. What would be your <laughs> tips for preparing yourself potentially from going from a full-time clinical role into dabbling in some academic work? It might be teaching, but I'm thinking more research. How could you, how could you, what do you do? Cold emails and people, what, mm. what do you do? How would you get yeah. into a research group? How would you get the experience that you need to get that scholarship? You need a couple of papers, for example. Yeah. Um, I think um, I, I have lots of um, people that are asking this at the moment. And I think that um, there's lots of different pathways into research. Um, I think that. Um, it, it if you have an area that you think that you are interested in particularly that can be helpful but you don't have to so um it depends i guess what your motivating factor is so the the things that have been the most important in my research career as i mentioned with the topic but also the mentors that i've had um and um i have been you know, unbelievably fortunate in having people like um, Jill Cook, um, Helena Frawley, um, Jean Haysmith and Kwan Yin Lin, who are my supervisors. They have, have been such great mentors to me and um, I've learned so much in research. So I think when you're thinking about, well, I'd like to do some research and where do I start, um, you know, you, you want to consider things such as what do I want to research, what do I want to spend my time on? But as you said, like, you know, a PhD is a research apprenticeship, uh, essentially, and you don't have to stay in the topic you do your PhD in. So um, some people, you know, really have a topic they're passionate about and that's what they look for. Other people, um, it's it might be more about looking for, well, you know, I, I, I want to look for someone that I find is amazing and that, that I think would be a good mentor to me. So it might be about going to conferences and, and mm -hmm. going to um listening to to podcasts or webinars and, and listening for people that you think, wow, I could learn a lot there and I feel like I could work well with that person and um, perhaps, you know, reaching out to them. Most people are really approachable, you know, contacting them and saying, look, I'm really interested in researching in your topic. Um, could we have a chat? Do you have time? Or, or um, if you don't have time, could you keep me in mind if something comes up? That can be a nice way to, um, to get started. Um, most um, academics and universities have their, their research pages that you can look at and look at what they're interested in, what sort of research they've done in the past, and and you can get a bit of a feel for what their areas of interest are, and you can reach out to those those people. And um, sometimes they they have existing topics that they've already got sitting there waiting for someone like you to come out and reach out to them, or sometimes you might want to bring a topic to them and say, look, I'm interested in this. Do you have any interest in working with me on that? So. Um, I think don't be afraid to reach out to people that you consider as mentors. Um, and yeah, definitely. This sounds like a good opportunity to um, to extend that invitation to anyone listening here for your research group, Jody. If you feel like one day you could, if you, you've liked what you hear, you want to talk to Jody about her research interests, and you could be a, a PhD student. She'd be a very good supervisor. <laughs> uh, um, absolutely, I think. Um, you know, it's a growing area. Um, looking at um, some of the challenges that face female athletes and exercising women, there's there's a lot, a lot of work to be done, and there's a lot of space to collaborate with people. So, absolutely, I've had some fantastic people reach out to me over the, the last you know year or two, and um, 
I'd encourage people to reach out if they've got a passionate in the, uh, a passion in this area and they're keen to do research. Absolutely. So where can people find you and find out more about your work? So Twitter, yeah, any, Twitter, any of those things? Yeah, yeah uh, Twitter or, um, you know, Monash, if you're going through Monash University, we have a research page. It's got all of our all of our um, outputs and what we do and email addresses and things like that. What do you, what are you on Twitter? I'll put it into the, so into the show notes at Jody Dakey. Yes. <laughs> there it is. I think so. For, don't look at the show notes when you're driving. I've gone blank. I can't even remember. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't look at it while you're driving or running. Put it in the show notes. Look it up later. You can. Um, yeah. I think it's at Jody Dakey on Twitter. That's the main, that's the main social media platform I would, I'd use for professionals. We're going to come back. Actually, I, asked, I said at the start of this episode, I was going to ask you the question, what are the most important foundational knowledge and skills for a physiotherapist? But I reckon that belongs in part two of our chat, which will be coming up for listeners in the future. So let's save that one because there's so much in there for career development and personal development and really thinking about where you could go with your career. And I, I found it really valuable. And so I'm sure someone else out there did as well. And if you did go ahead and like, and share and subscribe and do all those call to action things we all say to do, but that'll do for now, Jody. thanks very much for the chat. Anything else? Finally, final thoughts that you wanted to add? Um, I guess the only thing I get asked a lot by students is, you know, I really want to get into sports physio. How do I, how do I go about that? And you know, I think it's a little bit easier these days than it was um, when you and I graduated, Luke, a little while ago, because there's there's great pathways now through the APA and you can go and do, you know, you can go off and do your level one and level two APA sports course and you can go and do a, a master's in physiotherapy and uh, in sports physiotherapy, sorry. So there's those sort of pathways that are existing. But I'd also mm. encourage you just to um to immerse yourself in the experience so you know try and try and be a sports trainer when you're at uni and 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 get that knowledge um you know um when you see an opportunity to to work at a footy club on the weekend or to um work at the mark you know the the masters games that was a, that's a fabulous event to work yeah. at love yeah. absolutely love doing that for a few years so you know that experience is really invaluable to laying the foundations of your knowledge and and, mm. and showing a keen interest and a passion in sport so i really encourage you to take those opportunities when when they're available and keep an eye out for those opportunities as well because you know, you build networks from there and you meet people and, and you just never know what will come up from there. So, um, immerse yourself in the experience. Yeah. There's a quote. Yeah. <laughs> that's a great bit of advice. It doesn't all happen from a tra professional or a, um, an organized training course. It comes from a combination of life and professional experience. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Really and just remembering that, um, you know how you present yourself in those situations is, is important you know you want to you want to even as a, a sports trainer on a on a sunday show a keen interest and you know be professional be the sort of person that someone might think of in five years and go you know what i enjoyed working with her let's reach out because that's um that's a lot of how my career has taken off has been people reaching out and saying oh you know we did that work together a couple of years ago how would you feel about this opportunity? So I think um, there's a lot to be said for 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 the, for the way that you um, approach those opportunities, mm. no matter yeah. how small they are. Yep, save the being cool and being detached and being the cool guy. Save all that stuff for the 
the pub afterwards and yeah, try to present yourself in a way you think this is where I want to be going. This is the people I want to be working with. And perhaps that'll be my boss one day and yeah, some sage yeah, advice. Absolutely. Hmm. And be yeah. interested, you know, ask questions, learn, try and hmm. absorb as much knowledge as you can. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Gold, so much in that, Jody. Thank you very much for joining me. Physio Foundations. So <laughs> remember everyone, like, share, subscribe, all of that stuff. You can find us online at Periton Physio. You can find me at per- at Luke Periton on Twitter and social media. And I'll put all the contact details and everything in the show notes. So until next time, this is Jody and Luke wishing you all the very best with your studying, professional development and lifelong learning.